Tonight we'll be in Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Hebrews 10. I was clean before I came and then I moved my Amazon boxes inside. Anybody else is just covered with dust? Man. So I'm, exp- I'm explaining away my pig pen. Charlie Brown Christmas. Rel- you know, it's Christmas. We- I'll bring up some, make some references here. Well, I'm getting excited for Christmas. I don't know about you. It's so far so good. And um, praying that it stays this peaceful and enjoyable. And, and I'm praying for all of you as well. Um, we do have some prayer requests for the church that I'll put out on, on a couple posts. And um, just to, it's a hard time for a lot of people. There's a lot of loss this year for a lot of folks in our fellowship. And um, of course, seasons like this, Christmas time is a hard time for them. And um, this is the first Christmas without, you know, those kind of things. And so um, I'll put out that post. Just be sure, and as you're enjoying your time, be sure and pray for those folks as well. As they are trying their best to enjoy this time. They, they love their Lord and they love Jesus and they love his birthday and they love celebrating with friends. But there is that loss and that hole. So um, please keep them in your thoughts and prayers. All right. Let's pray right now and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And Um, as Aaron prayed, that we would be taught by your Holy Spirit and that you would minister to each one of us. Um, The writer here, Lord, your author, that you uh, impressed upon by your Holy Spirit to write these things, to encourage these folks to continue, to continue in, it it seems silly, Lord, to continue in freedom, to continue in liberty, to continue in rest. Um, And I don't know what it is, Lord, that we we almost feel guilty by having all that and um, feel the need to ruin it sometimes. And um, we don't want that for our lives. I know you didn't want it for these folks' lives. And Lord, we need to share it with this world. Um, You don't want that for anybody. And so help us to know this tonight so well that we can give it out to other people, um, that they might be able to enjoy grace and mercy and the freedom we have and the forgiveness we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a, just an awesome letter of love is what it is. I mean, the fact that the author here does have to keep his name off of it tells us that it's probably a difficult thing to write. Um, of course, I've, I've alluded to who I think it is and, uh, several times, but um, even if it wasn't Paul and it was somebody else, could have been Peter, could have been a lot of different people, um, it had to be done anonymously because it, was, it, would, it touches the core of the, of the Jewish faith. And um, on purpose, because what the, what the writer here is trying to give to us as well as to them, the fact that this is, this is all one plan. It isn't plan B, you know. And th- that was the struggle the folks reading this were having at the time. Um, it feels like we've abandoned our heritage, our... It feels like at times I've abandoned my God who I've worshipped forever because this is so different from what I'm used to, so different from what we grew up with, from what I've learned, you know, from my parents or grandparents or all the generations. And the writer here is saying, no, it's, it's just a continuation. This was the, the next step. And you've, you've actually fulfilled the, the relationship with God by continuing with the Savior that your God who you who you still worship, provided for you, you know. So often, uh, the, um, what we grew up with versus what the Bible actually says um, is different. Uh, so when they, the writer here not only has to explain how the New Testament, the New Covenant is the continuation of the Old Covenant, they almost, it seems like, have to explain the Old Covenant to them. This is what all that meant. This is what we should have been taught from our youth. We should have been taught that this sacrifice meant this, and that there was always a hope and a promise. And we know from the text that a lot of the rabbis would skip over the hard verses, the difficult things. The things that didn't line up with what they thought the Messiah was going to be. We don't, we don't talk about a death and dying Messiah. So when the death and dying Messiah came, it was all news to them. It was a shock and a surprise when it should have been, shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been that. And so he's trying to say, no, no, 
just because you weren't taught that doesn't mean it wasn't in there here. And he shows you passage after passage. Look, yes, there's a king Messiah, but there's a suffering Messiah. There's a ruling Messiah and there's a resurrected Messiah, you know, and, and takes him through that. So he's almost having to teach the whole thing over again, or at least fill in a lot of gaps. And I find that ministry still to be continuing on today in 2023, even in Christianity. Um, So much of our youth or so much of our raising in the Christian faith was limited to this verse, that verse, or the other verse, and not the entirety of Scripture. And so there's a lot of holes, and there's a lot of gaps, there's a lot of misunderstandings about what this means and what that means, and how healing it is to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and and let God reveal the whole counsel that he has for us, and not just the parts that somebody who was well-meaning, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to throw everybody under the bus that was before us, but their well-meaning was, I don't understand this, so I best not talk about it, so let's skip it. For, for, I don't know, I'd love to have you raise your hands for those of you who came from other denominations and other fellowships. Who has ever taught the book of Revelation? Most aren't. It's just too hard a subject. It's too difficult. I don't understand it myself. I don't feel qualified to share it or to teach a group of people. So, you know, oh, oh, we missed out, didn't we? You know, well, that's what this writer is trying to do. Fill in all the gaps Connect all the dots that seem to be out of place, but actually make the picture far more clear. You know, um, verse one of chapter ten: For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then they would not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin or of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. At the end of the day, at the end of the year, the, the final sacrifice for the year is called Yom Kippur. It's the, it's the Day of Atonement. At the end of the year, you offer up that final sacrifice, but you start the whole process over again. And the idea is you're still the same person you were last year. We offer up all the lambs. We had the Passover. You go through all the feasts and things, and and the calendar starts again. And what the writer here is trying to show is there's no more calendar. There's no more, again, the Yom Kippur that we're talking about here, the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, was the last time anything would ever be sacrificed for all eternity. It was the conclusion. I mean, the words, it is finished, should be so powerful to us. Everything was finished at that point. All of it. So remember what we're talking about here. These folks are beginning to uh, backpedal, or it says later on we're going to discuss this. Eh, we're in my notes somewhere. To, to withdraw back into the old. From guilt, from pressure, from whatever, they, whatever is coming into their lives, they're, they're withdrawing from the, the beauty that they experienced of coming to know Jesus Christ. The freedom the, the backpack of pain and guilt and suffering and shame all lifted off at one moment and they felt light as a feather was now slowly but surely being filled with the rocks of religion again. And they're feeling heavier and heavier and being pulled away. This Hebrew, this writer here is desperately trying to knock all the backpacks off and keep them empty is the idea. These sacrifices that the law uh, required were a shadow of the good things to come but not the very image and we've said this over and over again. Jesus is the one casting the shadow. The shadow on the wall. You ever do shadow puppets? Oh, that's great. We got the lights here. So I, c- I, can't very, I can't do very good ones. But, you know, if I get it twisted right, you can see the eyeball, the rabbit, and all that. And, well, that's fine, you know. But the rabbit would be even, not my hand, but a real rabbit would be awesome, you know. And, and why would you prefer the shadow over the, over the actual, you know. And so... The writer here is saying, look, you've you've had and experienced 
and have started a relationship with the God you could never come in contact with except through a high priest. Now you can talk to him anytime you want on a daily basis and you have this fellowship. And not only uh, are you hidden in him, he's in you. It doesn't get any more intimate than that. There's no place to go. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? Eventually, we're not going to worship up here or down there, but you're going to worship him here in your heart to wherever you go. There he is. You're going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're at that place now, you know? And only because the temple hasn't been destroyed yet, six years from now it will, they feel like they can go back. Eventually, God's going to say, look, there's nothing to go back to. You know, and they're floundering right now. They have. For 2,000 years, the, the Israel, Israelites have not been able, the Hebrews, the Jewish people have not been able to do the sacrifices their law requires them to do. They have been without for 2,000 years. And they've just morphed their relationship in the law into something that can be done. But there's no temple. There are no priests. There is no sacrifices. Nothing is happening like it's supposed to. And they're struggling. And they, they struggle into atheism. They struggle into, well, I, I don't know where he is or what happened to him, but this is a waste of time. They've moved into human secularism. The very image of the one casting the shadow is come, and that's who you have. Who you have. Otherwise, you're going to have to offer these things continually. They're a reminder of sin. For it is not possible the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Bloods of, the bulls and goats... They, they, they are not even close to humans. As much as the world tries to tell us that they're equals, you know, and, um, you know animals have rights and, and all that. And, um, no, they don't even come close. That bull doesn't even touch the sentencing that's against you as far as your sins go against God. They don't work. I was thinking about... Uh, you know, I've taught Sunday school before. Most of you probably have at one point or taught a little kid. And imagine the questions that they have. And imagine even what if they had social media back then, the arguments they'd have just over the Yom Kippur day. Okay, so what happens if, if you know, because everybody tries to under, understand the mechanics of it. So, okay, so this is the day of atonement. What happens if something happens that day and they're unable to do it? That happens the next day. Were we a year without covering and you know, well, I think, I th- and then you have 400 people arguing online about, about this, that, or the other thing. You know, well, I don't know. I think we would be covered. I think it was really more of a, of a, of a, of a you know, well, I don't know about that. And just all the arguing and the questions they would have over these things. Hmm. How long did these sacrifices last? How long did the lamb, how long does it work? How long is it covered before I have to do something else to cover over the sin again? Does it wear off over time? Does it become less? Do I start to feel the weight and guilt of the sin that I passed on to that lamb, but it never took it away, it only covered it, and now it's wearing off nine months later, and I feel like it's coming back on me again? All the questions these people would have. It's such a burden. I'm so thankful we've never had to be in that burden. And I say that, some people are in that burden, in, even in their Christianity. They don't understand that you don't ask for forgiveness for a while and then ask for forgiveness again over the same thing. It's, it's done. Christ paid the price for our sins and they're, they're remembered no more. It's, it's not that we've been given a clean slate. It's that our records have been expunged. There is nothing there anymore. All these things are here. These lambs, these sacrifices were bail, basically. It's bail money. You don't have to go to jail. You don't have to go to hell yet. Sentencing isn't for a long time, but for now you can walk around free. But eventually, you're going to have to pay. It's just bail. Until the Lamb of God that comes and expunges your record and says it's as if you've never sinned. There's such freedom in that. In Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, the prophet here says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul. Maybe a child's sacrifice might work. 
No. Verse 8, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It had nothing to do with the sacrifices. This is Old Testament prophets saying, what should I bring you? How many lambs do you want? How much oil? That's not what I want. I want obedience. I want you to do the right thing when the right thing in the right time comes up. I love mercy. That's forgiveness without punishment. We've talked about that. I love to walk humbly. I want you to walk humbly with me, not pridefully. I'm not pleased with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who feel elevated above you. I don't like that at all. That isn't, they tell you that's pleasing to me, but I don't think it is, you know. What he's trying to share with the Hebrews and bring them back to Bring them back from moving back into the temple, from moving into the Old Testament sacrifices, is that you can't add to the sacrifice that was done. You can't improve upon the redemption that's taken place in your life. The fact that you're struggling is just the fact that you're struggling. It has nothing to do with something went wrong or you're not doing it right. And that's important for all of us to know tonight. When I feel guilt and shame, when I'm going through... A relapse, perhaps. I don't, know what the, I don't know how else to describe it. That's my problem. That's me not believing parts of Scripture. That's me needing to reread and go over and work out my salvation again and talk to him about that. I don't have to get saved again. I am saved. I need to convince myself. I need to read God's Word. I need to let God's Word wash me. And take this away from me and and bring me back out of this pit. He doesn't add to his salvation. The more, I tell you, this is, I just thought about this on the way in here tonight. I've been saved for a very long time, as far as I'm concerned. Over 30 years I've been saved. Well over 30 years. And I say this all the time, I'm as saved now as I was then. But I think about some of the things I didn't know. When I was 19 years old about Jesus Christ, the gospel, the word of God, which is everything, I didn't know anything. I, I wasn't sure about any of the social issues. I'm not even going to bring them up. I was on the wrong side of so many social issues when I first got saved. And God slowly but surely through his word and the working of his word and the Holy Spirit is moving me and conforming me. But I've always been as saved as I've always been. And he's conforming me into his image. And my mind is getting right. And I'm getting washed and cleansed. And I'm, I feel so much more confident about my faith now. But I've never been more saved than I was at 19. So if I have any problems, those are my problems. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believed on him by faith. As crazy kind of, I think about my 19-year-old faith. What, a, what was I thinking? You know, I was thinking exactly right. But what was I thinking? Because every time, it, 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 I don't know if it's cyclical or what, but you go through these moments and these, I don't know. And I, oh God, you know, when is this? Ah, da, da, da. And you understand Paul's struggle when he says, I, I'm, I'm the least of the apostles. That's his 19 year old self talking. I'm the least of the apostles. I wouldn't say I'm a Peter, but probably will be one day. You know, that's 19 year old Paul. Well, I'm the, I'm the least of the saints. I'm, of all the saved people, I'm, I'm just kind of pretty, I'm a, I don't know. And then finally at the end of his life, after years and years of study, 14 years of one-on-one with Jesus Christ, being taught ministries, beatings, stonings, you know, all the things that happened, shipwrecks. I'm the chief of sinners. He's still saved and always was saved and has never been more saved than he was the first time he was the least of the apostles. We have to work that out. Don't ever charge God with that doubt. Don't charge God with that. That's us. And thank goodness for good brothers like the one who wrote this book of Hebrews to help people out of that. I don't know what they're feeling, but they're feeling like they need to add back in the Old Testament. I feel guilty by not doing the rituals anymore. I feel distant or whatever it is by not doing, you know. 
You're okay. Verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, Jesus, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. That's from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. That's the quote here. The psalmist, David, is writing prophetically. Here, the writer of Hebrews says that prophecy came by Jesus Christ through David. Connecting some dots for us. As much as we were supposed to, by the law, do these sacrifices and offerings, none of that pleased you, and none of that did any good for my sin. Behold, I have come. Now I have come. The volume of the book, from Genesis to Revelation, is written of me to do your will, O God. All of it is mine. It's all been speaking of me. When you offered up the lamb, the doves, the oil, the bread, the lampstand, the, the showbread, the, the altar of incense, the, 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 all of it, the curtain, the tabernacle, the feasts, all the celebrations, everything you ever did was all talking about Jesus Christ. The volume of the book is written of me. It's always been me. When you talk about the tabernacle, and we've studied that here several times, the layers of skins that are on top. We won't get into that tonight. The structure, the layout, the, the dimensions, all the things. And it's a mixed metaphor when you go through it. It's a hard thing to describe because he is the high priest that goes into the Holy of Holies permanently, but he's also later on in this chapter, the veil. But he's also in the tabernacle. He's, he's the one that holds the lamps. We've read from Revelation. But he's also the one that is, is, you got Jacob, the showbread over here. He's also the one that hears our prayers. He's all of it. He's all of it. He is the mercy seat that sits on top of, that is placed on top of all the items that we hold dear, the Arianic priesthood, the budding rod, the Ten Commandments, you know, and the manna. This is me. It's all me. The angels that are doing this over my seat, they're here with me now. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. It's all me. All of it is. When you have Jesus Christ, you have so much. It's so complete. It was so, he's so complicated to understand, bear with me, that it took the entire Old Testament, the Old Covenant, to explain some of the stuff he did for us. How am I going to explain to these people they can't just make a stone god like they saw in Egypt and carry it around? Let's make them, I can make my chair and carry it around. Let's say, want to carry a chair around? Fine, carry my chair. You can do that. I'm not going to put anything on it because I'm going to sit on it, but you can't. And then I'll make it all symbolic. It's all about me. You want a place to go to? You don't want to just follow me around the desert? Fine. I'll make you a tent, a tent, a portable, because I still got to get you into the promised land until we get there. This has got to be movable. And everything about that tabernacle is going to speak of my son Jesus. All of it. The volume of the book is written of me. Verse 8, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them. So I'm about to explain what you just read, the writer says. Which are offered according to the law. He's not denying that. He's saying, all the things you're going back to, yes, it is. That's part of the law. All the things, all of that, he said, in this Psalm 40, prophetically, Jesus said to David, I'm not happy with any of that stuff. That doesn't do it. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And here's what he means by that. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. So far, up to 10 chapters in now, we've heard the word take away. He's taken away the first. The, old, the first has become obsolete. And the third thing we've read is it's vanishing away and all ready to vanish away. You think he's trying to get a point across? There's nothing to go back to. You're going back to something that doesn't exist anymore. Because 
It's, it's being fulfilled. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. It's the continuation of that same faith is all this is. The faith we experience as Christians, we kind of jumped into the middle of it, didn't we? We didn't have to go through all that stuff the Jewish people had to go through. We don't know anything. We were born in such a time and place. We just we walked into some church someplace, and the Holy Spirit got a hold of our hearts. We said, I want to be born again. And we're born again believers. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And we never had to offer a lamb. We've never seen any of that, you know. We kind of got it easy. It's... These guys saw that from the day they were born until they got saved. And so he's being very gentle with them. He takes away the first so that he can establish the second. It's part of it. I was talking with my kids today, one of those fun conversations at the table, you know, for homeschooling about my childhood. I can't tell you all the stories. I will fill in some gaps for you because I know you care. But you know the kid that I hit with the mailbox, or with not the mailbox, I said that to my kid, the, the lunchbox, the bully, you know. Well, that's the kid that taught me how to do the fishing string line that we talked about. So somewhere along the line, we got reconciled. And I don't remember that part. But just so you're connecting all my stories together. And I was going on with the kids about my childhood. And I wasn't that bad. It was really great. I had great parents. I had, I had both sets of grandparents. Both sets of grandparents were married uh, 50 years plus. How rare is that? Um, and my parents were married 50 years plus. And Jenny and I are going to be married, provided I survive it. I don't know. We're going to be 30 years this year, but I got 20 more years to make it to 50, you know. Good childhood. A great childhood. But I can't go back to that. And, and as, as much as it was formative and as much as God had his hand on it and it was important for me to go through all these things, all the stages and phases and hard times and good times and all these things, I am here now, and this, this is the culmination of all of that. The writer of Hebrews here is trying to tell them, look, you're, you're moving right along the timeline. You can't go back to that. You can't go back to your childhood, your infancy, your, your, your adolescence. You, you need to just keep going. What you're experiencing now is the, is the culmination of everything God had ever laid out for you. Wonderful. You can see the the weight being lifted off these people as they would read this, how encouraging this would be. Where am I? Let's do verse 11. I think I'm in 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I like how he talks about we're being sanctified, but when it comes to our salvation, it's past tense. Look how he says it there. One offering he has perfected. Has perfected. That's done. Forever those who are being sanctified. So you're as saved as you're ever going to be. You're as locked into heaven as you're ever going to be, but you are being set apart and you are growing and conforming in the process. We go through these growing pains, but go through those growing pains. That's to try to tell the kids every time they got a leg ache, you know, try to rub that shin. It's always right here, that growth plate right above, you know, right there and you're just rubbing their legs for them so they can get through the night or whatever. You just try to tell them, look, you're getting taller. You're getting taller, buddy. It's what we've been praying for, height, you know. The Dirks are not a tall people, you know. Yay for leg aches. Look, when you're going through growing pains and you walk with Jesus Christ, yes, you're growing. I don't want you to struggle, quit, or go back. I want you to go through it. We need to go through that and let God grow us up, you know. It's all part of it. And it doesn't ever end. But I'm glad I am where I am now versus where I was when I was 19. I'm glad what God has done. I'm thankful for it. Now, um, you know, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on this, but um, we can't in Christianity... um, 
make these uh, four verses say anything other than what they say. I'm trying to be careful because there is this tendency to re-crucify Christ over and over and over again, and that comes from a, a bad understanding of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was that continual sacrifice that has to be done every time to stay saved, to stay pure, to completely be covered, and then that wears off, I guess, over some time, and you need to get covered again. Mm-mm. No, the writer here says, now when we, now we've moved into Christianity, that has to be it. When Jesus says it's finished, he died once, and that was 2,000 plus years ago. He will never die again. He's never crucified again. He never rises again. It was all done one time, one sacrifice. We can't do it every week. We can't continually offer up and sacrifice Christ over and over again, or we do not understand, and that... This book is especially for those in Christendom that believe that. They need to understand that. What we do now is we simply worship. We worship in thanksgiving for what's been done once for all. I mean, he says it as clear as he can. This man, one man, after he offered one sacrifice for the sins forever, past, present, and future, sat down at the right hand of God. He will never get up and perform any other priestly duties. He is finished. It's complete. It's done. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. The only reason he's sitting is because he's waiting for his horse to show up and come back for the second time to establish his kingdom. But as far as salvation goes, it is done. As far as service for the, for the sanctifying of the body of Christ, it's finished. There's nothing else we can do or add to it or relive. In Romans 5, verses 18 through 19, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, Adam, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, Jesus, made uh, many will be made righteous. Now, that's a couple verses I think you need to hold on to, and that's very important, because if you don't understand what happened with Adam, how come his choice to eat that fruit at that time affected me? Fine. Something happened. Genetically, spiritually, everything took place there. Hard to explain. The Bible does explain somewhat, but still... If you can't wrap your mind around it, if that's something you can't grasp, fine. The same thing has happened with Jesus, though. Just like one man's sin affected all of us, how does one man's righteousness affect all of us then? But it did. And we have that option now, that choice to receive that forgiveness of sins. So that's why I brought in that Romans 5, chapter 5 verse or verses. So we understand that once for all. Verse 15, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission or forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And and that's where we need to understand what the lambs and all the sacrifices did before. There wasn't forgiveness. There was a covering. There was going to be a reckoning still. Now he's saying, since Jesus Christ died on the cross, as he remembers the sins no more, you you show up with a lamb now. God's like, what'd you do? And I'm being funny. He doesn't really say that. (laughs) But what's the lamb for? What's for my sins? I don't know of any sins. Your sins have been forgiven. I've remembered them no more. There aren't any more. The Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world took them away completely. And that's when we begin to say in our hearts, this is too good to be true. I mean, this is way too good to be true. And that's why it's called the gospel. Our gospel presentation needs to be, we need to 
And we need to understand this teaching tonight in order for us to truly give out good news to people. Otherwise, we're not giving them good news. We're not giving them too good to be true news. We need to be. That is the gospel. Too good to be true. Are you kidding me? Oh, no. It's amazing, isn't it? It's exactly what you're thinking. It's as crazy, it's as unbelievable as you're thinking right now. This is amazing. I'm so glad you talked to me. (laughs) I know. You know. We cannot bring guilt into it. We cannot bring payment. We cannot bring forgiveness with payment or with punishment. We can't add to the gospel anything other than the unbelievable news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins once for all, and all sins are covered and taken care and remembered no more. You can't go to him now with a lamb. He's saying, you can go to the temple all you want and drag your lamb there, but God, that's for the priests. That's money out of your pocket. It's a waste of time. The scripture that he quoted there in sixteen seventeen is Jeremiah 31. It's a prophet. Jeremiah 31, verses 33 through 34, if you wanted to know the address to that. He's pulling in these Old Testament prophets that were probably not taught, or at least clearly, and trying to fill in the holes that these guys had in their understanding of their own faith. So that's what he meant, and that's why the rabbis didn't touch this. They didn't understand not remembering their sins anymore. He said, yes. Verse 19, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, his flesh torn from top to bottom. That's how we get into the holiest of all. That's how we enter into the throne room of God. That's how we get into heaven. Remember, that's a mock-up. This was a model, the tabernacle, the temple. Going in through the veil was symbolic of going through the blue veil, going through the sky, going into heaven, going to be with the Lord. Our access to God, which was blocked by our sin, God has now ripped the barrier apart and we go through Christ to get to the Lord. It's a living way, a new and living way. And we can boldly go there. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more as we see the day approaching. That's one of my favorite parts. Just, we, we used that during COVID, didn't we? I and mean, that was one of our big... We're not supposed to forsake the assembling together of the brethren. True. But let's, peek, let's keep it in context, too. It isn't just talking about gathering. We're not just talking about gathering. I wrote down a few things. And it's not meant to be offensive, but it is cause, causing us to draw out of ourselves and at least have a good, honest evaluation of our attendance at churches. What do you do to reach out at a church when we're gathered together? Because that's the point of gathering together. It's not to show up. It's not to sneak in and to sneak out. It's meant to engage with other brothers and sisters that you wouldn't normally engage with throughout the day. Who do you engage with? The second thing is, how do you stir up love and good works in the other people that you showed up and saw that day? Can you honestly look back and say, I stirred up good works and -and so-and-so, so-and-so, and -and so-and-so? Or did you just come? And this isn't for us necessarily. There's a lot of people that watch online too. But every church needs to be very conscious of that. The idea of coming into church and sitting there waiting for someone to come and do something to me this is not the intent of the passage and not the intent of gathering together. You can be in a church and still forsake the assembling of the brethren. You're not assembled. You're just there. Assembling means you show up and you interact with everybody. Are you looking for people that aren't having a great day? Are you looking to 
have a conversation with someone who's new. And I'm not talking about let's get up and greet somebody now and say hi to someone you've never seen before. That's the worst experience ever, even for me. I hate that. I don't know why I don't like that. I'm a pretty extroverted guy, but I don't want to stand up and be told, now go shake someone's hand. How many is it? Two or three? Can I sit down yet? Other everybody's still shaking hands. Okay, so probably that guy across the aisle hasn't seen me. How are you doing over there? It's good. And oh, I get to go back to my seat and just, you know. No. What he's talking about is, I mean, let's keep it all together. Not just forsaking the assembling of our together as the, or of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but are you exhorting one another? And so much more as you did see the day approaching. Are you stirring one another up for love and good works? You know, he wants us to be doing that. Who did you exhort last Sunday or last Wednesday or last time you gathered together? Who? That goes the same for evangelizing too. When was the last time you told someone about the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel? And I'm not going to say, so we're going to go out next Wednesday and we're going to go door to door, knock on door. (gasps) I don't want to do that either. I want it to be natural. I want it to be the Holy Spirit. I want it to be at the right time. But is it happening at all in my life? it should be a natural thing that's happening to us. And I don't want you to force it. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not that, well, what we need to do is have a meeting and we're going to have a time and we're all going to go out together for support. That's why we do that together. Let's all have support. No, you all have your own spheres of influence. People that you're only you are going to run into this week. And I'll never see, and other people in this fellowship will never see. And it doesn't mean you have to target them but at least have your spiritual antenna up and ready for it, you know, to be able to share the gospel, the good news with somebody that may need to hear it, especially now. People are kind of open right now at Christmas time. They can't help it. Everywhere they go, we're talking about some savior. They're kind of ready. They're primed. I'm thankful for these seasons. So don't forsake the assembling it together. Stop... uh, hibernating and staying away, come together and be sure you're, because what happens when you're around other people, it, um, Satan picks off the, 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 the stragglers in the herd. You know, he, he picks off the weak and, and the lame. He, he goes after them. And if the whole herd's together and we're all doing what we're supposed to be doing, there's some protection there and there's some encouragement, some healing that goes on. We're called to do that as a body. To stir up these, this love and good works, you know. Oh, you know, you don't even have to t- tell each other. You know, I, I saved three people this week. How many did you save? You know, don't do that. But just in passing, you know, I mean, this hasn't happened to me for six months. I was at Walmart and there was this guy in the chip aisle. And I really felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to go over and talk to him about Jesus. And I was like, no, I'm not going over to talk about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit says, yes, you're going over to talk about So I went over there and talked to him about Jesus. And he was like, I was just asking God to send someone to me. And I talked to him about Jesus. It was crazy. Now, the person listening to you tell that story, you don't have to ask them if that happened to them. But they're sitting there going, I want that to happen to me too. You're stirring people up just by telling what God did with your life this week, you know? We need that. That's assembling ourselves together and not forsaking. Verse 26. For if we sin willfully, oh, I'm glad we're getting into this. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Um, How much more or how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, which is a famous sermon, by the way. Which you should probably read. It's a pretty good one. People are terrified of that verse 26. 
I don't want you to be terrified of that verse. So if I get saved and I sin again after saved, well, I kind of do it willfully. I know I'm not supposed to do it, and I went ahead and did it anyway. This applies? No. That's not what he's talking about. Before you call me a heretic or you're not sure where I'm coming from, let me, let me start off with this so we can, you can hear me, because I want you to hear me. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also the whole world. So when you sin after you're saved, that's what this verse is for. I don't want you to sin, that's why I'm writing this to you. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father. That's what Jesus is for. No, keep it in context. What's the Hebrew writer saying? Leaving the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, leaving Jesus Christ, counting it, trampling the Son of God underfoot, calling the sacrifice a common thing, and insulting the Spirit, the heart of God, His grace, rejecting Christ, you can expect fire and hell. That's what he's talking about. He's warning them. You going back to that because you can't bring Jesus into that. He's not there anymore. He left his temple, the sacrifices. He's it. It's the new covenant. The old covenant's no longer enforced. You leave that new covenant and go to the old covenant. You can expect fire is what he's telling them. You can't go back. Going back, not only does it not help your new covenant relationship with God, it nullifies it. Galatians 1.6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to, to a different gospel. In fact, later on in chapter 5, he says, you fools, who's bewitched you to leave such great a salvation for what you've gone after? What a ridiculous turn of events in your life. That's a bold guy. In this section, and this is where we're going to, uh, I could probably finish it up. We've got a few minutes. We cannot understand verse 26 as if we sin willfully, that's any sin, you're done, you you had your chance, we wiped it clean, you started writing on the board again, now you're responsible for every sin you ever committed after Jesus Christ and after you got saved. It's not what he's talking about. In context, he's talking about leaving the faith, walking away from Jesus, forgetting grace, not letting it apply to you. So verse 32, but recall the former days, in which, after you were illuminated or enlightened, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Remember when you first got saved, Hebrew? Remember how, uh, how you were enlightened and how it was just amazing and all that? And you suffered greatly for that. Boy, did they hammer you when you got saved. Partly, while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations. Everybody hated Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, you know. And partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. We know that you knowing who, that's why I think this is Paul. I know that when you told your family that you were listening to Paul who used to be Saul and now you're saved. I know that just having that relationship with me brought reproach upon you, you know. I know that. Remember that. For you had compassion on me in my chains. Who's that? And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and, and an enduring possession for yourself or for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which is great reward, for you have need of endurance. That's for everybody in this room too. We have need of endurance. If the Bible tells me I need to have endurance, I gotta have endurance because it's hard. Oh, watch those marathoners. I just feel for him. Never, ever going to do one. I don't care what you, t- you couldn't pay me enough to look like they do at the end of their race. I mean, some of them, oh, talk about endurance, not wanting. I mean, just taking that, just those little steps. So, you know, the guys that shouldn't be out there, but did it anyway is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the guy from Kenya who runs through and says, hey, that was great. You know, and, and <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm talking about the Midwesterner with the legs that are too short and has no business and wanted the number on the t-shirt, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> but they did it. They had endurance. 
They made it across. <laughs> we want to have endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, there's that word, draws back, goes back, backsliding, my soul has no pleasure in him or in them. You can't go back. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, and that is judgment or destruction. That word perdition is the same thing used for Judas. But of those who believe to the saving of the soul. We've got to endure. The final cross-reference here for this endurance and this not drawing back. Peter shares it with us. Second Peter chapter 2, For when they speak great swelling words, these are false teachers, the same ones that are probably teaching these Hebrews to come back to the old covenant. They allure through lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Come back to us. You know, go through the physical, go through the rituals. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than have known it and turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and the sow, having washed to her wallowing in the mire. That's what Peter likens what's causing them and uh, what they're going back to. Very important to understand this. It's a fantastic chapter. I went a little bit long. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. Um, this next few weeks are going to be exciting as we prepare and get ready for your advent and celebrating your, your first coming in this Christmas season. I pray that you'd help us to stay uh, with our spiritual antenna up and up, aware of your leading everywhere we go. We are going to be running into conflicts and uh, uh, things not showing up like they're supposed to, and difficulties, and people that aren't enjoying the season like we are. And Lord, we are the believers. We're your sons and daughters. We're to bring joy. We're to bring peace, calm, rest during this season, and be ready to give a reason for the hope which lies within us, this gospel. So God, help us now to stay in this place that we are tonight, free, liberated from our sin, um, resting in our salvation in you, fully confident, God, that we might be prepared in our hearts to be a blessing and minister to those that aren't in that same place, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.